Hello, this is Pat from the True Fiction Podcast. Just wanted to ask a favor. We love creating this content for all of you, and I hope you're enjoying the content we are creating. And if you are enjoying it, why not show it by buying me a coffee? I know we're pretty far away from some of you, so we've made it easy for you to buy me a coffee and show the support for the show. Just go to buymeacoffee.com forward slash truefiction, one word, and then choose how much you'd like to give to support the show. That would mean a lot to us, and that way you're ensuring that we'll keep putting out great content. Okay, that's about it. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. Let's talk to interesting people. Let's talk about the process of seeing things differently. Let's talk about the craft of molding truth and fiction together to arrive at something new and exciting. And let's have fun while doing it. Welcome to the True Fiction Podcast. Hello and welcome to the newest episode of True Fiction. I'm your host, Patrick Boggs. Across the table from me, filling in for Norbert Yates, is Marshall. Marshall, how's it going tonight? Good, Patrick. Thanks for having me back. Hey, we're really happy to have you here. Uh, You know there's a chill in the air, and it just isn't because of the weather. We are well into October and the spookiest time of year. Some of the chills you've had in the past may have been caused by our guest. He's an actor who's been scaring us as Jason Voorhees in Friday the 13th Part 6, Jason Lives. He's also in the newest Friday the 13th, Vengeance, playing none other than Jason's father, Elias Voorhees. Please welcome our very special guest, CJ Graham. So happy to talk to you tonight. How did you get cast as Jason Voorhees in Friday the 13th Part 6? Um, you know, being a B.A., you know, bad <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Um, no, I actually, you know what? Some things happen by luck and fortune, and some things you were born to do. This is one of those things that I luckily got. I was able to complete and deliver a product, I think, I hope, of quality. Um, but it wasn't something I was going out for, anticipated, or that was my livelihood, so to speak. It kind of dropped in my lap. I took it and ran. And again, I hope, I hope three decades later, I delivered a product that was of quality. Well, it's one of my uh, one of my favorites, just because I, I, you know, not just because of you, but I really like the guy that uh, that plays Tom. So I think he did an awesome job, and I really like the storyline of that. That you guys did a lot of different things in that one. But I heard that you got this job by um, somebody caught you doing an act. Was that the that case? Well, it was. It, I was the general manager of a nightclub in Los Angeles, and. Thursday nights, I had a hypnotist on stage with uh, a good show, and he decided he wanted to bring in a film crew to do a production shot that he could put on tape so he could make an adjustment to start going to the Vegas market. It just happens that the company he used as a production company was called Real Effects. Real Effects to be the company that did part four with Ted White. And when they came out, they said, hey, why don't we put CJ in a Jason costume? We've got Ted White's. And we'll let him do Jason coming through the screen and tear the screen apart and scare the subjects on stage. And when I say the rest is history, Patrick, the rest is truly history. <laughs> it was, uh, unbeknownst to me, they laughed and said, we're going to cast you for Jason. And I said, yeah, okay, whatever. And a couple months later, I got a call to go down to meet Frank Mancuso Jr. at Paramount Studios. Of course, Tom McLaughlin, the writer-director, and Michael Nomad, the stunt coordinator. Wow. Oh, that's so cool. 
So I know that you uh, passed you. I don't know if you maybe you still are. You were the chief uh, operating officer of the spa resort and casino in Ranch Mirage and the VP of casino operations at Thunder uh, Valley Casino in Lincoln, California. What do uh, you learn in business that you can bring to acting? It's all acting. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> you know, um, you know, I've had a lot of executive positions, chief operating officer, general manager of multiple casinos, uh, vice president of gaming operations at the Palms in Las Vegas, casino manager at the Flamingo. Wow. Um, at the same time, it's all, you know, acting to a point. You have to have knowledge. When I played Jason, I was able to deliver the product. If you can't deliver a product, then you're not very good at what you do. So going back to what I said earlier, acting is delivering a product. If you're a good general manager, if you're a good CFO, if you're, you know, a good soldier, then you're a good product and you deliver that product. So I think it's all heartfelt as far as how you are as a product. As a leader, um, I've always said leadership is tough. It's hard. It takes time, patience. Um, dictatorship is easy. Anybody can be a dick. Yeah. So you can distinguish between the two who you want to be. I chose to be a leader, you know, um, and a lot of that comes with understanding patience. But at the same time, uh, I know my weaknesses and hiring the best people around me to teach me areas that I may not be as strong in so I can become better in those areas. So that's a, that's, and I, I wouldn't expect nothing less of somebody that's been in those, in those places, the high, those high places. Um, what was your experience with uh, a highway to hell? You know, it was, I, I got that about a year and a half, maybe less than two years after Friday the 13th. And it was one of those films that unfortunately we shot it in 1990, 89 roughly. And it kind of self, it was sitting on the shelves. Uh, Hemdale bankruptcy when they were getting ready for their distribution to the theater. And so it never made it to a theater distribution. And then it sat on the uh, shelves of United Artists MGM until they found it in their library and put it out for distribution a few years ago uh, on a Blu-ray DVD. Uh, interesting enough, it's it's not a bad film whatsoever. For those that all of a sudden realize and put two and two together and say, you were Hell Cop? They're, they love the film. Uh, Christy Swanson, you know, uh, Buffy and the Vampire, uh, Chad Lowe, Rob Lowe's younger brother, uh, Lita Ford, rock and roll singer, of course, uh, you know Ben Stiller? Have you heard of him? Yeah. <laughs> he's, in, he's in it for about eight seconds. <laughs> um, and, yeah, look at him today. And um, I shouldn't have pushed him when I went by him. It probably pissed him off. He's never called me back. Um, but his mother, his father in it, and I believe his, his sister was in it for a very small part, too. Wow. It's been a while since I've seen it, but I do remember enjoying it. I liked it a lot. And the Hell Cop, your character, was a... Um, I thought it was a pretty cool character. You know, he's a, like you said, he's a badass. Um, and he didn't take any shit till the very end, of course. But, um, so well, the interesting thing is it was again, a physical characteristic. Um, I think what's funny, Patrick is people in my era of filming and movies, nobody wanted to have a mask on. Everybody wanted to see their face. Well, I don't want to wear a mask. I don't want to play Michael Myers. He's wearing a mask. I don't want to play Freddy Krueger. He's wearing a mask. Interesting enough. And, of course, none of us have a crystal ball, Patrick, let's be fair. And it's easy to be an armchair quarterback 30-plus years later, right? To be fair. But look at all these great, successful films that are out right now. The DC comic roles, everything from Arrow to Batman, they're all wearing masks. 
How crazy yeah. is that? And they're all villains or heroes, and everybody wants to be an alter ego. Uh, and that's what Jason is. When people put that hockey mask on, they change characteristically. I will tell you how many people come up to my table at a convention, Patrick, and they look at me in wardrobe. They will not say a word the whole time. They'll stand there. Their significant other will say he wants this one. He wants it made out to John. He wants it made out to Patrick. But the person stays in character. As soon as they take the mask off, they'll start talking to me. So it's interesting when you start looking at some of these, these different characters that are out there today, and they all wear masks. Um, who knew back in 1980 that people would be flaunting masks everywhere you go? Oh, absolutely. You know, and I, I think uh, one thing that really blows me away is, and I just, I wonder about this with you and, you know, uh, uh, the guy that played, uh, you know, my mind is going blank right now, but uh, the guy that played Freddy Krueger, you guys are, you guys have them. I mean, these are, you guys are like the new universal monsters. This, that's a heavy yeah. mantle. Right. Robert England, you know, that's playing the, the part, very consistent through uh, playing the part of Freddy Krueger. And when you think about it, you had back in the 50s and 60s, you did have the universal horror figures, um, Frankenstein, Mummy, Werewolf, and Dracula. Um, and then here comes Freddy Krueger, Michael Myers, Leatherface, and Jason. And in today's generation, there's some additionals, It and a few others. And to be fair, they, they look great. They've done great. I'm happy for them. I guess the proof will be in the pudding if they're fortunate enough as we were and able to do what we've been able to do where the fans have embraced us three decades later. Um, it, I'm, I'm hoping for all of them. I know everybody that played the different parts in the recent films, and they're amazing, great jobs that they've done. But you just don't know what the fans are going to grasp onto. You just don't know. And I've been very humbled by the fact that I played Jason in Friday the 13th. And you know what? It's it's amazing when you're traveling. I don't tell people per se I played Jason, but you'd be surprised how many people, when you say C.J. Graham, they know who you are. And, and I just kind of look at them and go, you've got to be kidding me. Um, I've been at a TSA agent having my ID checked to get on a plane and have the agent go, C.J. Graham, did you play Jason? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. And I'm a horror fan. I'm slip. How did you know? I mean, it's they do know who you are. Hey, CJ, this is Marshall, uh, co-host with Patrick. Um, you talked a little bit about the conventions. Patrick and I, we love going to the conventions, meeting iconic horror stars like yourself. Um, do you have a most memorable moment at a convention? I know you attend a lot of them. Um, you know, I've tried to attend more in the last three years since I retired from running Casino Resort. So I try to get a half a dozen in a year now where I can get a chance to meet the fans. As far as memorable, um, every single fan that walks up to me is memorable because I'm just in awe that they even care about me. But I will tell you, I had three generations come up to me, one, and I have a photograph, and they were all in Jason wardrobe. One wow. was in part six, one was in part seven, and one was in Jason X. And it was a complete family, and it looked like the three stooges going down inside. <laughs> and they were in character the whole time. And I just kind of went, seriously? Um, it has become something unbeknownst to me. And, of course, everybody with uh, Friday the 13th series, that the fans have been so loyal as a just a true legion of fans. 
That's awesome that, you know, that's something we've always noticed about uh, the horror that we like, how much we're endeared to it. And then, um, but just also getting out to these conventions, you know, how, how dedicated the fans are to it. Uh, we notice that too a lot with some of the horror stars that we've talked to, like yourself, that there's a real camaraderie with the other horror stars. I was wondering if you could talk about that with some of your, your uh, co-stars or other people you've even worked conventions with. Well, you know, you look at Michael Myers and you look at Leatherface and you look at uh, Freddy Krueger, you have to understand one thing most importantly. We're all related through some DNA somewhere. So I can't say too much about my, my brothers, but I will tell you that real men use a machete, not an Outback steak knife. Like <laughs> I like that. That's some, yeah, that's a good, that's a good beef there. They're wonderful. They've done a great job. You can never take anything away from any of them. Um, the nice thing about it is, yes, there is a camaraderie. Um, I know all the Jasons personally. Uh, at the same time, I know a lot of the Michael Myers personally. Uh, I've done some photo things with Robert personally and RJ and a few of the people that played Leatherface personally. So it is kind of a nice camaraderie, no different than uh, the wrestlers. When you see all the wrestlers together and you oh, get yeah. four or five wrestlers together that have been out there, with the, the uh, wrestling federation, um, same concept, you know, they're all a brotherhood or a sisterhood in our cases um, at this point, it's all men that have played these parts, but at the same time, you know, it's just the same camaraderie. You know, that's, that's interesting. You brought up a good point. I don't really know of any, uh, female horror icons other than maybe, uh, Samaras or the woman from the ring. So that's a, that's an interesting point. I've not thought about that. I would probably suggest it's probably because guys are crazy and women are smart. <laughs> yeah. men smart just you got to understand women are smarter than men. That's just the way it is. Uh, get over it, get used to it. Um, it's not a bad thing. Trust me. I did want to talk a little bit about, uh, we, uh, we took some time and we watched, uh, which I've been told it's fantastic. So I took some time, watched Friday the 13th vengeance. I got to say that I have never seen a show, I've never seen a movie. This is one thing that no other Friday the 13th does, is it goes back into the history. And I was amazed at how much I was just drawn into that. I thought that was fantastic. And I also wanted to say, your look in that movie was phenomenal. I think your your character was, well, I mean, he's Jason's dad. Come on. So <laughs> how did you, how did that all come about? How did How did that start? You know, they, they asked me, Brown Films and uh, uh, Jason Brooks, if I would participate in a, in a fan film. And it turned into be more than just a fan film, as you could tell. And Steve Dash said he'd step into the role of the sheriff and put a little bit. It. Tom McLaughlin, the writer-director of Part 6, did a little part in it. Yep. Uh, the interesting thing is the reason I agreed to it was I thought it would be interesting because Tom McLaughlin has always talked about Elias Voorhees and how it should be part of the structure um, who else to play Elias Voorhees than somebody my size? Jason's my size, so it was a good square off. I mean, theoretically, I guess I could have put, played both ways <laughs> on it and put a twist because nobody would really know. But, you know, I grew a beard for four months, give or take, and then we put all this hair on me and stuff, and the part was a natural. Jason Brooks is the same size as me, so when we squared off, it was nose to nose, and it looked like a father-son having a, intellectual conversation uh but it came out well um you know they've asked me to entertain next year with the success of vengeance maybe doing another vengeance called bloodline um i've told them i'll entertain the opportunity i'm open for the opportunity 
I think we'll just take a look and see what comes from that opportunity. Um, the one thing that, and this is me, again, armchair quarterback, Jason Six didn't have any nudity. It didn't need nudity. So any person five years old or, or above can see it because there's maybe three swear words, and that's about it. I think sometimes we go a little too far into it, and people expect horror to have nudity. Um, we'll see what they decide for the next one if they want to tone it down. There were a couple, three scenes that right, wrong, or indifferent that, you know, I could have personally lived with or without. It didn't make the movie. And I think if you get too far off to the left or too far off to the right, and it's hard to find center line, um, I think they're going to be a much better product. So we'll see what comes up with next year as far as um, opportunities. You know, I, I'm not going to disagree at all with that. Uh, I think that uh, we've seen it a hundred times. I would have liked to have seen something it handled a little bit differently, almost like kitschy or something that's uh, making kind of fun of it because we've seen it so often. Now, having that, having said that, uh, I didn't mind them. They were <laughs> pretty good. But I also have to say one thing I really enjoyed in this, which is, I mean, I'm a fan of the movies. There were some great kills. There were some great kills. You had some great kills. Uh, not, not to give anything away, but... Yeah, but, you know, that's the interesting part. There were some great, great special effects done on a fan film. And today's technology is so advanced, digitalized, and the way it's being shot that they actually went for a little bit of an 80s look as far as the filming, the way the, the uh, different lenses they used. Um, I don't understand it completely, but when we were talking about it, they were changing lenses to make sure it wasn't quite as uh, digitalized or perfect as they could because they wanted a little bit of grain in there. Um, I think they did a great job. And, again, some of the kills were fantastic. You know, um, summarizing it down, I think it really had a good a good storyline. Uh, Tom McLaughlin, writer-director of Part 6, has uh, been on the air the last year. He's written a new script, and he's doing what he can to work with Mr. Miller and Mr. Cunningham to see about putting something together uh, with them. And, you know, he's come up with a great storyline, and, and some of it does have a little bit to do with Elias Voorhees and a little bit more of the background of Jason, uh, hopefully to get back on track, as I said, trying to go down that center to make sure that we stay within the, conf the conflict walls of what Jason is about. You know, there were so many of the movies that were made that were kind of offshoots. This is what I, what I loved about this movie is it it was closer down the line. It was more about, and look, you guys make another movie with all this mythology. I'm in because that was amazing. All I wanted after seeing that was wanting to know more. And I think uh, that me, for me, that's a success. Right. And, and if, you know, Tom Matthews has been involved in Never Hike Alone, another film that's a fan film and they're shooting again. Um, I think is. I think what they've learned that we haven't learned in the Friday the 13th franchise is that your storyline needs to connect from each one. And I think we've all learned that watching everything from Star Wars uh, to the different films that are out there right now where there's actually a storyline from one to the next to the next. So you can always pick up on it uh, rather than kind of jogging around. Uh, with different um, groups and different ways of doing it. I think staying in the boundaries of what Jason is all about, uh, being at the camp, being out there with the campers, uh, you can do a lot with that, and you can still stay center-focused. It's not right or wrong, but it's not necessary to go to space. It's not necessary <laughs> to go too far outside the building blocks of what the Jason formula is about. You know, I think, and just to 
you know, when you think about the storyline to this and what it did filling in some of the maybe, I don't want to say gaps, but questionable areas of the the lineage of the Jason story and stuff, this is such an amazing thing. And then you think of it as an independent fan film on top of that. And it's like, wow, that was awesome. You know, for it to be uh, a fantastic story, enjoyable, just straight down the line as a, as a film, you know, as a Jason film. And then on top of that, there are these, you know, these parts, like one thing that I can think of is the, uh, the issue you with the crystal lake or um the alternate name of yes, the, the, yeah. the campsites there where they kind of poke fun at that and you find cohesion in that and stuff the uh which i, I think is fantastic to see you know good writing uh being applied to a friday the 13th movie like this absolutely absolutely well, i think if, if uh whoever does the next friday the 13th uh major production you gotta remember in theory it'll be number 13 so if you don't knock it out of the park, you're going to go down swinging. And if they take a little bit from everything they've learned and the way films have come around, I mean, even when you're watching shows like uh, Arrow, they, they jump around on you a little bit. And before you know it, they're 20 years ahead and 20 years behind bringing you into context of what's going on right now. I think with the Jason and some of the bloodline, you could do some pretty interesting things for two or three films in a row and really have a nice connection between the next two or three films of Jason. You know, I'd kind of like to see him take the, uh, you know, Sylvester Stallone seems to be putting his creations uh, away, you know, um, you know, with the, uh, the last Rocky, well, not even the, actually the last Rocky continued it. I'm sorry, the last uh, Rambo Rambo continued it. But, uh, you know, I love that he was he was he was basically giving Rocky a break. He was giving um, Rambo a break. I would love to see like a a major trilogy and then put him down, you know, put uh, Jason away. I keep wondering if there's uh, one thing I'm not seeing yet is is the the emotional side hasn't been shown since the first two movies, really, the emotional side of the child. Now, they did talk about it with with you and. and I thought that was really good on the, on the sh- on that mo- on your uh, on vengeance. So I'd like to see that as well. Some little more uh, heartfelt stuff with Jason. It's easy to make somebody bad, but it's hard to make somebody people like somebody bad and give them a reason why he's bad. So I'd love to see that. Friday the Thirteenth Part Six, and this is again an opinion. Um, I think it's where Jason became the principal of the film. Everything was based around Jason. I think up to that point, you know, Jason was there, but we were talking about all the camp counselors, and that was great. But six, all of a sudden, everybody wanted to know what Jason was going to do next. So when you look at part six, he comes back to life like Frankenstein. Now, that lays it out forever. I mean, you can dismember him, but like electricity with Frankenstein, Frankenstein was built of several body parts. So we're back to where you really could fill it out quite differently if you really wanted to going forward because once Jason came back to life like Frankenstein, he truly was unstoppable. However, if you noted in part six, there was some connectivity of brain cells where he he started thinking a little bit. He started connecting with memories or looking at things like the little girl differently. That's Uh, one line in itself as you go forward. You're right. And uh, I am also noticing Elias and the book, and that was like holy crap! That was a that was a bombshell. So um, I think that also could uh, could spell the end for Jason. I don't know about the emotional part, but definitely could spell the end. 
Yeah, it really felt like a kind of a booster shot to the story in a lot of ways. There's so many things that you can think of now um, that came out of this fan film that you'd like to see or just fun to think about, you know, with yeah. this, this whole story plot. Like you said on the Rockies, you went through the concept. Uh, Stallone got the right idea. He went into it, took it to the next level with Creed, Creed 2. And there are flashbacks of Rocky in the Creed films that are memory flashbacks as you go forward, basically turning the torch over to another generation of hockey mask wearers. Now, who those people were in the hockey mask, how they're related to Elias Voorhees going back to the camp, uh, who was the child, who was the mother, you know, who wasn't the mother. Uh, is there sisters out there we don't know about? Wow. Is there cousins <laughs> that we don't know about? So it's unlimited. Gosh, yeah, absolutely. Wow. Kind of blew my mind there. It's all right. I'm I'm ready for an Elias biopic, you know, Absolutely. because there's a huge chunk of time there. We don't know, you know, what was going on with Elias. And there, I think there's a story in that, too. Absolutely. Yeah, I think there's an to share the screen with Jason and Elias in a favorable mode where they're going back and forth from a historical perspective as we go forward with part 13 to set the to set the stone for what part 14, et cetera, will look like going out of 13 into 14. Absolutely. It's funny because I honestly, I would have said that uh, this franchise was pretty much dead. I would have until I seen vengeance and I was like, wow, so many questions, so many uh, different. And like you said, so many avenues to go with. Patrick. And and the reason I really am proud of part six is, you know, three decades later is I get to be the only, the only Jason that opens up like James Bond. I get to be the only Jason that comes back to life like Frankenstein. I get to be the only Jason that has a rock and roll Hall of Famer, Alice Cooper, doing the music. Absolutely. The only Jason that gets to wear a Batman utility belt. Go figure. <laughs> hey, so how was it working with Alice? You know, I, I worked with him, uh, I think, November of last year. We did a convention together. I put wardrobe on, and fans took pictures of me and wardrobe and Alice Cooper. So I get the pleasure of seeing him about once a year now that I'm retired. Uh, maybe twice. He's a great man, honorable man. And you know what? Not only is he fun to be around, he's just a good human being. He's down to earth, just like anybody else, like you and I. And uh, really nice man, very pleasurable to be around. Wow. So um, you're retired, but um, do you have any more, uh, anything in the future that you want to do with Jason or any any other movies? Well, you know, I, I did 13 Fanboy. Deborah Voorhees and Joel film that was put together. I got my shooting done in January. Um, D. Wallace has the oh. lead in it. Uh, Laura Park Lincoln and Kane Hodder's in it. Uh, Corey Feldman, some others. Wow. Um, don't know about the distribution because I know they're done. They're done editing. But at the same time, everybody's kind of sitting on their hands right now to see what should be done. So that's completed. But, um, you know, this coming weekend, I'll be doing a Days of the Dead horror convention in Las Vegas. Hey, so I heard there's a Days of the Dead in the Indy. What's going on with that, CJ? You're right. It just got put together in the last month. Days of the Dead will be doing an Indianapolis convention through Halloween weekend. It should be a blast. Holy cow. If you're not there, you're square. You got to be there. Hey, <laughs> we got plans now. So yeah, yeah. that's awesome. Awesome. That's great news. Are you doing a lot of uh, conventions now? I try to do, like I said, a half a dozen a year. This year I've only done two or three because of the, the, the virus. 
Um, but you know, next year, some of the ones got canceled. In fact, this weekend, I originally was heading to uh, England myself and Kane Hodder. Uh, so we'll see what happens. We're supposed to go to Sweden next month. That's off. But you know, 2021, everybody has rotated from 2020 to 2021 for their shows. So, you know, I've lined up uh, Monster Mania and Texas Frightmare, uh, among others, with Crypticon and uh, a couple Alabama Comic Con, Tennessee Comic Con, and we'll, I think Spooky Empire is out there also. Were you a fan of uh, horror films before starring in the uh, Part 6? I, I don't know if I was a fan, per se. I was a huge fan of Universal, old school, oh, black okay. and white. Yeah. Badass. I was impressed with everything they had done back in the... 40s, 50s, 60s, with little or no assistance, you know, special effects-wise, makeup-wise. I think that's what the draw is to the Freddies, the the uh, Michael Myers, the Leatherface, and Jasons. It's, if you look at it, it's realistically possible that a person could be that friggin' crazy or in your mind, like Robert England, um, versus today we've got some great shows out there, but I'm really, you know, how many times can I jump out of an airplane, land on a car, and do a backflip? and then stand up and ready to fight. Uh, <laughs> cool. Very cool. Special effects, green effects, digital effects, computer effects. Awesome. Question is, you know, I guess we'll see where it's at in 30 years because when you look out your window and you see Jason standing out there by the uh, barn, that's a little menacing. Oh, Absolutely. yeah. Speaking of special effects, so the Friday the 13th films are known for some of the best kills and effects. I was wondering, do you have a favorite Jason kill? I you know, I always tell people my favorite was uh, killing the sheriff. The reason is because there's no blood, there's no guts. It's just pure force breaking the sheriff's back, you know, like a twig. Oh, How cool yeah. is that? Yeah. yeah. I, you know, that's funny that you say that because uh, watching Vengeance, that was one of the kills that really shook me. You know, like you, I felt that one because it was like, whoa, you know, you, you kind of see the force of Jason with that one. That was a that was a really cool kill. Yeah, they did a really nice uh, tear off where they took the spine out of a person uh, in uh, Vengeance, which, again, when you take a look at the special effects, I mean, most of those people were working on adrenaline uh, versus pay just to be part of something and of course to show their capabilities for the industry, put some tape together. Um, so most of those people were out there based on passion and it just shows you the level of commitment, not to mention experience of just walking up and down the streets of Seattle. We talked to a fellow not too long ago who's uh, doing a, a fan film, uh, a Jason fan film. And uh, you know, he's, he's an up and coming actor. He's trying to make the money, but you know, he said, you know what? I, if I can do it and I can, I can get the, you know, it's all about network anyway. He, he just said, you know, I, I've got to do a Jason one if I can do that. You know, who wouldn't like, love to be in um, a, a, an iconic horror movie like that uh, with Jason or with Freddy or uh, even Leatherface. I mean, uh, I, I still, still to me, one of the scariest um, scenes ever is when the girl walks in on Leatherface and he chases her out. And just as she gets to the door, he grabs her and pulls her in and he slams that metal door. That was chilling. That was chilling. And back in the day, that stuff was scary to me because it looked like home movies. And that scared that, me. That's kind of what I'm saying about, you know, when you look at these films, they are scary because they're realistic. There's a difference, like I said, jumping out of an airplane at 10,000 feet and bouncing off the ground and standing up. That's, that's entertainment. There's yeah. a difference. But when you look at a Jason or a Leatherface, that's scary. That's some wicked stuff. 
if it wasn't Jason, and you, other, what other acting role that would, do you wish you would have played, would have liked to have played? You know, in today's elements, a lot different than when I was there. I'm 6'3", 250, give or take a pound. Stallone doesn't want to stand next to me. He's 5'11". Right. Tom Cruise was 5'7", 5'8". He doesn't want to stand next to me. Uh, most of your principal actors are between 5'7 and 5'11", max. Most are 8 or 9, 5'8", 5'9". So they don't really want to be right next to somebody of my size because it takes away. And I understand that. However... In today's element, if there was somebody back in the 80s that was, you know, managing uh, a big person, because I've never cared about showing my face. I go back to performance. It's about delivering a product. Um, you can put all the prosthetics you want on my face. I could care less. It doesn't mean anything to me whatsoever that they don't get to see CJ. It would have been nice if there would have been a management out there that took that because there were so many films where they were always casting a new person, a new person for, I don't care if it's just a a mask that somebody sees, Darth Vader. Nobody knows who it is, but right. they need force, that size of a person. Could have been fun to take on different roles. Michael Myers, you know, going through Leatherface and going through back to look at the next. It, you know, they didn't know if it was a big or good. You don't know who's behind the mask at the end of the day, right? but it's character. So I wouldn't have cared one way or the other. Who knew if it had been successful? Um, Kane Hodder's got a good film out there, Hatchet. Yes. Oh, yeah. Same thing. Most people just don't want to wear the prosthetics because they want to be seen. And I, I've never really been a big deal if you see me or don't see me. Um, you know, even as a general manager, chief operating officer, I was always out in front of my team. I was always speaking at events and doing different functions. But I always tried to put my executives out there to get them exposure. Um, I already had the job. So I didn't need to stand on the podium and talk to everybody in the city and meet the mayor and all that. I'd bring my team and introduce my team and let my team take over so they could get some exposure. So CJ, we're running a little bit, um, we're running close to the time. I don't want to keep you over. I really appreciate all the time you gave. Before we before we go out, I do want to say I knew that you were in the U.S. Army, and I want to say thank you for your service. And also, uh, before we go, I wanted to mention uh, Days of the Dead. Um, in Indianapolis weekend, the weekend of Halloween weekend, do not miss it. I also want to say you do another one of these vengeance too. I'm there. That's a brilliant flick. And I really, really dug your part as Elias Voorhees. And it's been an awesome talking to you tonight, CJ. I really appreciate sharing your time with us tonight. No problem. You guys, uh, come if you, you know, I know you're, uh, in the Midwest back there in the central. So come by if you get a chance to Indianapolis, if it's not too far, you know, and come by and check us out and say hi. Maybe we'll do another interview while we're there. Do That'd be awesome. Interview. That'd be I, awesome. I definitely want to come see you, man. Sounds good. Thank you for your time and patience. We're all good, man. We're all good. Thanks. Have a good one. Peace. Thanks, CJ. Bye. Have a good one. Thanks for hanging out with us on the True Fiction Podcast. If you like what you've heard, please visit us at Facebook. You can also leave us a review on iTunes or through your favorite podcast app. Until next time, stay true and stay creative. You're too late. Catch your ride somewhere else. Catch your ride. Catch your ride.